Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for a new year. You are the creator, sustainer, and ruler of all things. And we acknowledge this new day is the result of your hand, your will. You've purposed us to it, to be here and to prepare for the ministry of this day and, Lord willing, the year ahead. Thank you for the life-changing good news of Jesus Christ, for his life, his death, his resurrection. Thank you for your grace, without which none of us would have hope, new life, without which we wouldn't even be here. Father, as we dive into your holy word, the same Holy Spirit that inspired its authorship and preservation, we, we ask that the Holy Spirit would illuminate it for us today. Your word is of infinite value. Cause us, your people, to see it like never before. Draw us to you to depend on you, to trust in you, to stir our deepest affections for you, the holy God. To bring us to exaltation of you and only you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. John chapter 5, 1 through 9. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, Aramaic, called Bethesda, which has five roofed, and in these lay a multitude of, of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool whenever the water is stirred up. And while I'm going... Another steps down before me. Jesus said, get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed and took up his bed and walked. Word of our Lord. The setting is uh, the makeup of the temple, Jerusalem. There's this outer wall of the temple where the sheep would be washed in the pool before being brought in for sacrifice. The name of the pool of Bethesda in Aramaic, it means house of kindness, house of mercy, as we just sang about. The fitting name for invalids who would lay by these pools looking to be healed, it was fitting because of the fact that this was the sheep gate where the sacrificial lambs would be brought in for sacrifice. And what a reminder it is to our souls of what the ultimate showing of God's mercy is. The ultimate showing the Lamb of God, God the Son, took on flesh and was torn apart, was slain and killed so our sin could be paid for, so we could be forgiven and made new and resurrected unto new life with him now and forever. Praise the Lord. It says in verse 3, In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, 
the upper class, the rabbis, they, they would not have traditionally been in this area. They would have avoided it because it, in their view, it was not ritually pure. Uh, what's interesting here, though, is how this description of the invalids is really a fitting description of Judaism, of any kind of false religion. Those who are blind and lame and paralyzed. It's a good description of the spiritual state of not just Israel that was lost and desperate for Christ, but for all people who are outside of Christ. Mankind's spiritual state, apart from God's sovereign work of regeneration in our hearts unto new life, is blind and lame and paralyzed. Oh, how important it is that we see ourselves as truly desperate for God's healing power and gift of new birth, just as the invalids lying helplessly by the pools of Bethesda were hoping for healing from their broken condition. Romans 5, 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Oh, how many there are who are desperate for God's saving grace. It says there was a multitude by this pool. What a sobering picture. Just pictured many people, lame, immobilized, miserable. What a sobering picture this is of lost mankind. The spiritually dead, desperate for a new beginning in Christ alone. May our gospel light church shine bright in this dark world so that God will gather his people in his perfect time unto himself. Amen? In all the ways that you already have made this new year, this new day about you, let's repent of that. And let's be charged and enthused and readied to make it about the gospel of Jesus Christ for the work of the Lord and the saving of our elect brothers and sisters around the world. Take a moment and look closely with me at verse 4. Yes, you're seeing that right. It's not there. Is there a typo in your Bible? What's going on here? There's no verse 4 in John chapter 5. Now, some of you who studied this passage with me as we walked through the Gospel of John in 2016, think of how long ago that was. 2016, we studied this. That's, that's a while. We'll remember why this verse 4 is omitted in our Bibles. What we have here is what's called a textual variant. In this instance, it's a translation error that has been corrected by removing what was temporarily inserted as the text of verse 4. What this means is that some Bible translations for a season, again, they're translations of the original, for a season added a sentence between the content of verse 3 and verse 5 that we believe is not a part of the original manuscripts that is God's word. 
The exact origin of this added content is unknown. Maybe a scribe was listening to a preacher on this text, made a note in the margins, and it got scooped up. It got added into some of the translations for a while. It is helpful to understand that the titles above uh, in, in your text, even the numbers in the text, are not original. Those have been added in modern Bibles just to help us have reference points and for memorization and for finding our way to certain text. But in that way, the, the numbers are not, you know, they're not needed, really, for the Word to be the Word. And so... It had lived, this, this added text had lived among the numbers long enough where that then when the textual critics who do this work realize this is not original, therefore it properly should be removed, what you now have is people who had already memorized verse 6 and 8 and 12, and, and if you shuffle the deck back and renumber everything, now what you memorized as verse 8 is no longer verse 8. Do you get my point? That's why... Number four is just simply removed because it was not in the original manuscripts. Maybe it has some value, but it's not the Word of God. We want the Word of God. Our best Bible scholars who make a career of comparing manuscripts have discovered that in roughly two dozen manuscripts, scribes put an asterisk at this verse to warn the next scribe who would copy the manuscript that the verse was likely not original but again, over time, it got added as verse 4. Thankfully, most of our modern Bible translations have rightly omitted it. This is important because when we're seeking to know and study God's Word, we're only interested in what God divinely inspired as His Word. Commentary on the Holy Scriptures are just that. They're commentary. They belong in the margins. They belong in the notes. They don't belong in the text. And so... This is a place where we see textual variants. It, there are other places in, in the Word that we'll see along the way that we've seen before. Um, what I want to say in passing on this point and why I wanted to pause is we need to not lose confidence in the Bible. The validity and verification of the Holy Scriptures is still to this day the most valid and proven historic text we have Understand that we stand on the shoulders of generations of textual variant scholars who have done the heavy lifting to examine thousands upon thousands of copies and solidified what is original and what is not. Right? It's, the guys I'm discipling, we we're studying a, 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 a session with John Piper through video on the Word the other day, and and, and he was talking about his time in Germany and sitting under some, some scholars and had to write a paper. And he was so passionate about wanting to highlight some textual variant. And his professor just said, it's not needed. It's been done so well, we can keep moving. We can be confident in it. And I would just give you that same charge here today, church. Praise the Lord. Praise God for his written word and the insight that we have to glean from it. Praise God for shepherds that help us to be careful of these things and to understand them, right? Um, you know, so you don't take your Bible back to the store and say, hey, my mind's broken. There's no verse four here. Um, we can trust this with our lives, and we should. 
Psalm 1, 1 through 3, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Praise the Lord. Church, as we enter into a new year together, let us, each of us, truly long to meditate, to be steadfast in our in our time in the word, our, our, our chewing it up, our letting it wash over us, letting it pave our paths. There's, there's times where we can be really quick to say, I love God's word, and I, and I love to obey God's word, and yet there's situations and scenarios where we're just completely setting it aside and just doing what we want. And God's made it so clear as to how to act or speak or respond we just need to be faithful to trust his way. As we enter into this new year, let us meditate on his word, hold fast to it, trust it, and build our lives on it. Let it convict you of sin. Let it propel you to sanctification. Praise God for it. And it's global impact on our lives and our testimony. All right, look with me at verse 5. It's not a trick. It's there. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. An invalid is someone who's blind, can't see, they're lame, the body parts don't work, they're, they're paralyzed in part or in whole. And so they're extremely weak, immobilized, body's not functioning. I want you to consider with me the depth of this man's reality. He's been in this condition for 38 years. Think of how long that struggle is. This was not just a week whereby he was really sick in bed. I really praise the Lord often this weekend, right? Because last year at this time, I was really sick in bed with COVID. This alien thing was crazy. And that was, right, Matt was here and the guys were scrambling to prepare and praise the Lord for their faithfulness. It wasn't just a week or a few weeks or even a month, right? We can get sick and it's like, man, it's been a month. It's not a year of hospital visits or fighting valley fever or, or some weird debilitating disease that, that maybe took a few years of your life. This is not even an accident, a bad accident that happened at some point and it left you paralyzed, it left you changed from that day forward. For many people, in those days, 40 years was a lifetime. He's been this way for 38 years. That means this man has likely suffered this debilitating disease his entire life, or as long as he could remember. 
Recognize that this man is not just at his lowest point. His entire life has been low in this way. And with each year that I grow in the faith and by God's grace and grow in life and get a little more gray, I realize that my low moments are really not that bad compared to what a lot of other people go through. And I would argue that even for you, many of you who have some really tough stuff, it is even still not anything like the depth of what many others around the world are going through. I mean, there's people still today who don't know what it's like to drink clean, fresh water. They just don't have it. Their reality is that they've seen their family murdered at the blade of wicked dictators limbs lopped off. There's people right now today being invaded by foreign countries, bombed and blown up. Friends, I ask you to truly consider with me, do we really know what suffering is? Do we really know what hopelessness is? This man was crippled and immobile, debilitating pain for 38 years. Now, some of you do know, you do know deep pain, suffering, struggle. Maybe you're in this kind of low place in your life right now. Maybe you're really wrestling with some deep feelings of hopelessness. And I just want to ask you in in contemplation this morning, what are you turning to for hope? What are you looking to for help? For peace? We need to see how truly hopeless this man's situation was, not just because of the depth and the length of his debilitating reality, but It was so hopeless because of what he was committed to be looking to to help him was hopeless. Just like we can look to drugs or or drinking or relationships or or sweeping changes in our lives to just clear the deck and start over or secular superstitions to bring some kind of relief or sometimes just turning inward and having the most massive pity party and just being stuck. Understand that this man was caught up in hoping for something that was not real, leaning on superstitions and false religions for these waters to be stirred. The first guy to get in there wins the lotto. Superstition he got caught up in is the waters are stirred, the first one in his heel, that's what they believe. Yet day after day, these same people are laying there with no change in their condition. It's like people moved to the middle of nowhere where there was a UFO sighting and, and they're committed to, to you know, be the, on the rock of power and the return of aliens. and people. There's people out there, this is their life. They've given themselves to it. And while it's easy to discredit that kind of nonsense, I want us to see this morning how we can get caught up in stuff, in hopeless stuff. 
Stuff that won't save us. Stuff that won't help. Not in the way we really need it. And maybe, maybe you give in a little bit to the thought of lucky charms. Not the good cereal, like. <laughs> give in a little bit once in a while to a bowl of lucky charms. My kids will tell you I do. Just once in a while. Maybe you avoid certain numbers, black cats, haunted places, situational circumstances that happen a certain way. Christian, how maybe are you being caught up in a kind of thinking in just maybe even everyday little ways that is really a superstition. It really is a hope in something temp temporary and fleeting, and there's not a real help there. When we do this, we must see, church, that we who are of faith really put our faith aside we put our hope aside. Our hope is no longer in Jesus because we've set it on man-made stuff, on wives' tales and human traditions. Some book we read that we can be a better you in just doing these 10 things. Are you saying with your words, I trust Jesus, I trust his timing, but you are overwhelmed by your circumstances and guilty of adopting some, adopting some superstitious viewpoints or perspectives or really putting your hope in temporary fixes. And then therefore not really trusting Jesus. Church, we need Jesus. We need his word to direct our thoughts and our words and our actions. We need each other, the church. This is a major part of how he's designed us to grow and thrive, be protected, be helped. We don't need snake oil or wishful thinking or the world around us to be the answer. Consider with me what we might glean from verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, Jesus, who is God, sees this man fully for who he is, knows him in his condition. Hear me today, please. Jesus sees you for who you truly are and knows all of your condition more than you know it. He rightly diagnoses you every time and in every way, for he is God. He knows us and he sustains us and he purposes us. The one we need to ultimately go to for guidance, for insight, 
is not a palm reader, psychic, clairvoyant, horoscope, or any other man-made, satanic, influenced, ritualistic practice that our world has adopted and played nice with. Hear the love of your shepherd. Don't even play with this kind of stuff. Like, some of you tease it. Kind of flirt with it. Oh, it's just fun. No, no, it's satanic. It's devil-inspired and anti-God. We need to go to the living word. God's word for us. His insight, his revelation, his instruction. David says it so well. Your word is the lamp to my feet. The light to my path. Psalm 119, 105. We need to come to Jesus and trust in Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Jesus says something here that's a little shocking on a quick read. The second part of verse 6, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Why does Jesus ask this question this way? It almost sounds rude, right? Of course he wants to get well. He's committed to not leaving this stupid poolside. Now, we know that Jesus does not sin. He doesn't entertain the sin of the flesh to to make jokes or belittle people, right? So that's not what he's doing. All of his intentions and words are holy and pure. So what does he mean when he asks the invalid this question? What he's doing here is he's highlighting with this question the failure of the man's superstitious practice and belief basically saying the thing you're hoping in and trying to succeed in is false and hopeless. The additional problems, the man doesn't know who Jesus is, as he will later profess. He's desperate. He's desperate for a correct understanding of his failed practices and hopes and false things. He's desperate for Jesus, but he doesn't know it. And I think we often relate to this more than we realize. We too can get caught up in hoping for our circumstances to change and miss the sovereign work that God is doing, even in some of our hardest stuff. And then, therefore, miss to really trust Him in faith fully. We have to see that while it looks like this man wants to get well, he's utterly trapped in his lostness and the lostness of his false hopes and beliefs. We have to understand that when the heart is clinging to the wrong Savior and our hope and belief is in false idols and superstitions, no amount of external change is going to get the combo right to finally make you find your way. 
All we end up doing is moving in and out of relationships, in and out of jobs, in and out of different hobbies. Many times, what you end up becoming is like the invalid sitting around with everything stripped from you, waiting for a break, completely lost and without hope. And so I lovingly but seriously ask some of you today, do you want to get well? Some of you have not seen well the hopelessness of the path you're clinging to, thinking that it's your answer. You've got, you would say, a, a real hand on Jesus, but you're also like not satisfied there. So you're, you're clamoring for something else to get right so you can be right. And in that, you're really announcing to the world, Jesus is not enough. That's your testimony. Still thinking, I can beat the system. There's a way through this maze, and I just got to find it. And I've been in ministry almost 25 years now, and I've seen successful men. I mean stupid rich men. Be lost and without hope. I've seen women who are beautiful beyond words be so lost and without hope. Addicts who think that they're above their addiction be lost and without hope. People desperately thinking their identity is only worth something if they're in a love relationship, but deep down they're lost and without hope. I've seen people be faithful to attend church services, but never really fully submit their lives to Jesus in a way that transforms them. Yes, even the religiously devoted can be lost and without hope. And if you relate to this, and I ask you this morning what Jesus is asking the invalid, do you want to be healed? Do you want to get well? Do you realize that you're sick? Do you realize your hopes for routines, new routines, changed circumstances, different relationships is not what's going to save you? It, it might make you feel good or different for a time, but you'll still be clamoring and clinging to something that can't fulfill what only Christ can. Just showing up to church is not enough. There's a deeper work that must happen. You must hear and then receive and then live out the life-changing gospel. Jesus must become your Savior and your Lord, not just for a season. This is another thing I see people do. like They really love it for a season, but in the end, it was also just part of the bigger buffet of things they were clamoring for and it wasn't a new identity for a life Jesus must become your savior and your lord which means you no longer live for what you want How, are you saying that a lot lately? here's what I want 
No, now you live for what he wants. You no longer look to gratify the flesh. You look to glorify the Lord. Paul said it so well, so, so well. Woke up meditating on this this morning. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. Whatever that thing is that you're clamoring for lately to say, I just really want this to go this way. And if it did, it would be so great. Just scoop that into the trash can and pick this up and really say, Lord, what have you called me to do? Let me be right there. No, this man simply just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand who's standing before him. And so he just points to the broke-down efforts of his superstitious system. Look with me at verse 7. The, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Oh, this is a big part of the struggle. Because in our fleshly minds, the reason why we're struggling is the fault of other people. Or the system. I'm just a victim of the system. I'm a victim of these other people's stuff. He answers Jesus' question with essentially, if you knew how hard I've been working, how long I've been trying, all the things I've done, nothing works. Someone always beats me to it. It never goes my way. I'm so tired of it not going my way. Year after year. Does this sound familiar? In our flesh, we love to point how it's the system's fault. It's the government's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my spouse's fault. It's my employer's fault. It's the church's fault. It's my kid's fault. It's the doctor's fault. It's the other person's fault. When is it ever our fault? When, when do we ever truly see our sin for what it is? And just hear me say this, only when we see sin for what it is, we will see our desperate need for the Savior and be ready to go to work on what God has put before us in His power, by His means, in His timing, and stop pointing our being stuck to everyone else. Most of us have found a way to get good at blaming our troubles and our bad circumstances on others. Many people get really good at playing the victim, and they don't even realize that that's where they're stuck. And so we're so quick to make excuses to blame everything on everyone else. But, but just see it maybe most simply with me that Excuse-making and blaming gets you nowhere. Where are you going when you're fixed on excuse-making and blaming? Nowhere. We have to stop 
our excuse making and blaming and take the Lord by the hand and let him take us where we need to go, church. That's it. We have to be willing to be humble and see our part in the struggle to the degree it is our own sin at work. And, and, and we have to see God's part in our struggle to the degree that it is his sovereignty at work in us. In, in those struggles, whatever they might be, for his glory. When David says in Psalm 23, he leaves me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. I think sometimes we can read that paths of righteousness as like the, like the candy road. I don't know. It is the valley of the shadow of death. It is the presence of my enemies. It is the genuine struggle and pain of this life. The paths are just being lived righteously for his namesake. That's his leading in us. It's, so the fix isn't like, I just need a cleaner road. Now look with me at what Jesus does to this man, verse 8 and 9. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Notice with me that Jesus doesn't wait for him to cry out. He speaks healing and graciously gives this man a new beginning. The Lord will do his work in our lives in his time for his purposes. Jesus is the word of God. His words are life and power. I mean, do you see the miracle here? When I say miracle, I, I mean to highlight something that is done that is out of the reach of man to do or accomplish on our own, but it's very normal, easy, and everyday for the sovereign God of all creation. Jesus has the power to heal and to restore. He is able to do anything he wills to do. I want you to see that whatever you're facing, whatever has you down, whatever has you feeling stuck, whatever you feel like you are fighting, why would you try to deal with it for even a moment on your own instead of fully bringing it to the Lord? Fully. And putting it in his lap, trusting it to him in prayer, abiding in him to say, I don't want to even take one step in this without you. Beloved, church, family, Jesus is our help. And he's limitless in what he can do and should be the place we run to and rely on. And we stay there. We stay there and we trust him even if that struggle lasts 38 years. Because I belong to him. It is his and I want to steward it in faith for his glory. So I lean in him, I abide in him, I trust him. Consider with me Jesus' words to the man here. Get up, take your bed and walk. Just 
Just the words stand up. Can you imagine how overwhelming those words would have been for this man to hear? Nothing's changed except for Jesus' declaration for him to do it. Jesus' command to take his bed is good for a couple things here. It feels very minor, but I want you to consider the depth of it with me. It is really Jesus' way of saying we're done here. You don't, you don't have need to encamp here anymore. I'm giving you a new beginning, and it starts today. The old saying that we've heard today is the first day of the rest of your life. And what a fitting point for today. It's New Year's Day. Today is a new beginning unto a new year. A fresh start, as we like to call it. The question is, what will you do with this new beginning? I would ask those of you who belong to Christ, what have you done and are continuing to do with your new beginning in Christ? For those of you who've been saved a while, but you're struggling in your faith lately, if you are practicing some unrepentant sin and not honoring God with your days and ways, see that you are a healed invalid who's chosen to drag your sleeping mat back to the poolside. The smelly, nasty reality and set up shop again. And I would just lovingly say, what are you doing? That's your old life. You need to hear Jesus' words here. Hear them loud and clear and take your mat and walk. Christian, you need to use these days he gives you to testify of the eternal life that you found in Christ, to fulfill your mission to not stay in your old ways, but to go, to live, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded you in his word, and know that he is with you to the end of the age. He, you don't, Christian, you don't just need something new to scratch the itch in this new year. That's a superstitious thing. You need to be faithful to continue to fulfill the commission the Lord's given you until he takes you home. To testify the gospel for those he puts in your path. To be that light. I don't care how hopeless you feel like the people at your work are, or school, or neighborhood, you keep being the light. You keep shining, Jesus. To keep making disciples, to be disciples and make disciples. Don't, don't call whatever season you've had good. Keep maturing. Keep being sanctified. And see the generations around you. Even if you're empty nested or a widow, there's generations here that we get to impact and new families that are coming that we get to walk with. There's a work to be done. In 2023. And it doesn't require you just to find a new outfit and think that, oh, that, that's the answer. God is doing a great work in and through us. Let us be faithful to it. 
and let's get rid of the woe is me. The constantly getting caught up in the mire and the valleys that this life will throw at you. We read it earlier in our service. And I love, again, I want to point out again what Psalm 23 shows us, why it's so fitting for today, New Year's Day. David understands he is in the valley of the shadow of death. He understands that the Lord's will is to set his table in the company of his enemies. But his hope and his peace and his joy are not found in any of that. No, they're found in his faithful shepherd. He speaks truth to himself when he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down green pastures and leads me beside still waters to, to nourish my soul. He restores my soul. I don't need a new table in a new restaurant or a different part of the valley to have my soul restored. The shepherd is the answer for that. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He says, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And he reminds himself, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever is a really long time, making this valley really short. Christian, this is a wonderful reality we have in Christ, despite what misery or hardship you might be facing. The other significant point that Jesus is making here in these simple words, get up, take your mat, and walk. In commanding him to pick up his mat is proof that he's healed. Picking up a mat would not have been a big deal for a normal, healthy man, but for an invalid, it would have been like carrying the world. When Jesus says walk, he's saying, go live your new life. You're healed. Your body's not bound to its former state anymore. Now, we don't know if the, the spiritual state of this man's heart, the, the text doesn't declare it, so we don't overreach for that. But it is an important point that we must consider we can all experience a new beginning this year today in many great ways and needed ways but if we don't truly and fully trust in Jesus those new beginnings are only temporary that's it When it comes down to it, do you trust Jesus with what he's doing in your life? And what he will do in you and through you in the coming days and months, Lord willing, in a new year. To walk by faith in Jesus means we're not swallowed by our present circumstances. We're not defined by these things. We steward what he ordains and puts before us to, to grow, to mature, to honor him, to make much of his name we must see that this life is so temporary it is not our end this allows us to get up and to live and not be stuck in the woe is me it allows us to trust jesus when we can't see over even the next hill 
It helps us to not give in to our flesh and looking to our temporary resolutions as the way to a better life. We're willing to trust Jesus. We're willing to do it his way and give it all we have. And so I just say, you have an opportunity at a new beginning today. Not just because it's a new year, but because hope and power for a new beginning is found in Christ. He said, do you want to get well? Are you ready for a fresh start, for a new beginning today? The sick man by the pool had a bunch of excuses, a lot of blame for why he wasn't getting better. And I just ask you, are you allowing your circumstances or other people to get in the way of focusing on what you need to do to honor the Lord? And for those of you in the room who are listening who have not yet been saved, and, and there's some beloved people in this room that I'm praying for regularly, members of my own blood family. I pray that God is at work in you to give you eyes to see and ears to hear. To work the greatest miracle in your life by giving you faith in him, new birth, giving you more than just working feet to physically walk on, but to give you spiritual faith to live in. That you would repent and believe and trust him with your life and be saved this day. Lord, I pray it's your will. If not today, then soon. The most important business you do in the new year, unbelievers, is this. The good news is that the holy God, in his amazing grace, gives new birth to those who stand as his enemies. Dead in sin, worshiping false idols, living for their own glory and by their own rules. He gives new birth and in this new life to those he chooses. Those who do not deserve this grace, but those who will be forever his. This is why we gather and celebrate and praise him because he's adopted many of us into his eternal family by his sovereign election and saving grace. This is why we preach the gospel to those who are dead in sin, not knowing who will truly believe, but trusting in God's perfect plan and timing. This is why those of you who are resting on superficial faith need to truly repent and turn from your sin to trust in Jesus alone be saved. No more resting on what you just have gathered in your head, but submitting your entire life to him. To die to yourself and live for him. Peter said it well, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And all of his people said, Amen, that is the best news. That is the best prize. Beloved, it is my deep prayer as one of your shepherds that you truly find your way off your mat, out of your excuses, and you get up and walk 
You walk by faith. You walk full of hope. Even if you will continue in pain by God's sovereignty. That you stop finding ways to blame everyone else and start tending to what God is putting before you. That you stop chasing the idols of your heart, the desires of your flesh, the approval of man. And instead do the first things he's commanded you to do. To do it well. And to do it faithfully. To be faithful. To read and obey God's word. To serve in his church. To be discipled and to make disciples. To spread this good news with those he puts in your path. I pray that we're finding ways to die to ourselves and live to Christ today. And if he wills it tomorrow and into this year of 2023. The enemy wants so badly to get you caught up in your fleshly thoughts, reasoning, opinions, drama, offenses, longings. He wants to get you focused on temporary desires and fixes so that Jesus is not your aim. Don't fall for the enemy's ploys and temptations. I love Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Will we struggle? Yes. Will there be incredibly tough seasons in this life? Yes. But don't forget Jesus' words, John 16, 33. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen? Stand with me. Let's pray and let's worship him and prepare to live this new year for his glory. Father, we thank you for this day and this time together in your word, this testimony that you ordained, that you are still using. I'm excited for all the ways that you will be at work in us today and throughout the new beginning of a new year. We are very much lazily, haphazardly creatures of habit. I just pray there'd be a diligence in us, an accountability, a, a humility to, to, to really make some important adjustments and abide in you, trust in you, walk by faith. That you would take us wherever you will for your purposes and glory. We love you. We commit ourselves to this new beginning for your glory. Don't let us build this house in vain. We do it your way, according to your will, for your glory.
Jesus' mighty name we pray.